0: Amen. All right. What is the blessing to be here again here this evening, and and thank you for having me here. I'm glad to be here tonight. But let's take our Bibles. Look right there at First Peter chapter number three, and look down at verse number fifteen. The Bible says, "But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope." That is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Now what I'm preaching on here tonight is being ready to give every man an answer. And what I want to answer here tonight... It just maybe help you to be able to answer some questions that, you know, you might hear some of these questions, whether it's out souling or whether it's with your friends, or whether it's with your family, and they may not quite understand, you know, why do you go to that church? Why do you listen to this pastor? Why do you listen to that pastor? You know, just be able to answer those questions, you know, biblically, From the Word of God. Because let's be honest, you know, I mentioned this to Brother Turner before the service, that if you continue hanging out with us, you know, there will be people that speak evil of you. There will be people that speak bad of you. And listen, that's not a bad thing if they are speaking evil of you for your good conversation. I mean, listen, we shouldn't just give people a reason to speak evil of us because... We have a bad testimony because we're not living right, because we're not doing right. But if, speak, if people speak evil of you because you're doing what's right, you're, you're going to the right church, you're abiding by the Word of God, then there is nothing wrong with that. And the Bible says it is better for you to suffer for that reason then that you would suffer for evil. Now listen, you know, many Christians in America, this may be something that's kind of foreign to them, because many Christians in America, frankly, have not had to go through a whole lot of persecution. And the reason why they've not had to go through a whole lot of persecution is because they were not doing anything for God. Because if you were doing anything for God, you would have persecution in your life. Because the Bible says, Yea, and all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So if you are living godly, you're following the Word of God, there is going to be some persecution in in your life. The world is going to hate you. I mean, did not Jesus Christ say that the servant is not above his master? I mean, if they hated me, will they not hate you? If they hated the Lord Jesus Christ and they don't hate you, then something's wrong with that picture, isn't there? I mean, let's look at what the Bible has to say here. In fact, look on down. In fact, take your Bibles and go to Titus chapter number 1 and look at verse number 9. See what the Bible has to say there. First, uh, Titus chapter number 1 and look at verse number 9 when you get over there. Because the first question I want to answer here tonight is, why can't we just all get along with everybody? Why such a big deal about doctrine? You know, people oftentimes, I mean, I've had people, whether it was uh, so-called Christians themselves, or I've even had this question, you know, out from time to time. I've had people that, I, that would say, well, I just don't see why we make such a big deal about doctrine. Why is doctrine so important? Well, number one, because the Bible makes a big deal about doctrine. Yeah. Because the Bible puts the emphasis on doctrine in the Word of God. But look at Titus chapter number one, and look at verse number nine. And see what the Bible has to say there. Titus chapter number 1 and verse number 9. The Bible says this in Titus 1, nine: "...holding fast the faithful word, as he hath been taught, that he may be able by..." what Sound. "...sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped..." who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. Now listen, one of the number one reasons why doctrine is such a big deal is because there are men out there whose mouths must be stopped. There are men out there who are preaching damnable heresies. There are men out there that are preaching things that are leading people to hell. And these men, they look good on the outside. I mean, they're a preacher. And listen, we have got to get over this mentality that just because somebody is a preacher, that they are a man of God and you can trust everything out of their mouth. No, you cannot trust everything out of their mouth. You trust what the Word of God says. Now listen, you ought to be able to trust your pastor, yes. But listen, you trust, but verify. Yeah, you should be able to trust your pastor, but then you know what you do? You go home, you take what he preached, and you search it in the Word of God, and you see if what he preached lined up with the Word of God, let God be true, and every man a liar. And the reason why doctrine is such a big deal and we can't just get along with everybody is because there are men out there who are leading people to hell. And so listen, we're not going to go join up. I know I can say this in confidence. I can speak for Brother McMurtry on this point that we are not going to go join up with the Catholics. That we are not going to go join up with the Presbyterians. We are not going to go join up with the Methodists. We're not going to go join up with the non-denoms and all these other uh, so-called Christian religions out there. We're not going to join up with them because the Bible puts a heavy emphasis on doctrine. And if we are going to be able to convince the gainsayers then what are we going to convince them with? Are we going to convince them with just our words? No, that's why the Bible tells us to be ready to give every man an answer of the hope that lies within thee. And where do we get that answer from? We get that answer from the Word of God, from the doctrines that are found in the Bible, because doctrine does matter. We were just commanded in the Bible right there to hold fast to what? The faithful Word. That we are to hold fast to the Word of God. Not to the ESV. Not to the NIV. Not to the ASV. Not to all these other versions out there. But we're to hold fast to the Word of God. We're not to hold fast to Schofield Notes. We're not to hold fast to James Strong in the Strong Concordance. And by the way, Strong, if you want to do a little bit of research on him, he was on the translating committee, I believe it was, for the ASV, for another version of the Bible. But yet, all these Baptists today, when they want to go find out something in the Word of God, instead of just going into the Word of God and see what the Bible says about it, they pull out James Strong, his concordance, and here's what they do. If they stand up and they start telling you, well, in the Greek, it means this... In the Hebrew, it says this. Or in the Chaldean, it says this. This is what they do. They can't speak those languages. They open up Strong's Concordance, and they find that word. And they go back into Concordance, and they find that word in there. And you'll notice that there are several definitions that are given for the word. And so they'll pick out the definition they like best. And they'll say, this is what that word means in the Greek. And they do that to make uh, to make themselves the example so that you can look up to them even though they don't speak Greek and even though you don't speak Greek and it's all Greek to you, they want to make themselves to look like they are some uh, theologian that really knows his stuff. But I promise you, if you started speaking Greek to them, they can't speak Greek. Yeah. They can't speak Hebrew. I mean, and by the way, the Hebrew in the days of the Bible is not the Hebrew language of today. I mean, here's what happened. Hebrew was a dead language for thousands of years. And then after thousands of years, in modern times, here's what they did. They took the Hebrew that was written down, and somebody took that, and they started putting their own sounds and syllables to those things that were written down, and made up the modern day Hebrew. So the Hebrew that they're speaking today is not the Hebrew of the Bible, and we don't need the Greek we don't need the Hebrew. We've got the King James Bible. We've got the perfect Word of God. And we are to hold fast to the Word of God. Look back at what the Bible has to say here. In fact, go on down. Take your Bible go to 2 Timothy chapter number 4. And look at what the Bible has to say there. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Just turn to the left in your Bible. You'll hit 2 Timothy. It's right there. You're right close to it. Next book over. <coughs> 2 Timothy chapter number 4, and look down at verse number 2. The Bible says right there, 2 Timothy chapter number 4, and look down at verse number 2. Notice what the Bible has to say there. What's it say? Preach what? The Word. The word. Yep. Does it say preach your opinion? <laughs> no, no, no. Does it say preach man's words? No, Does it say download another preacher's sermon outline and preach another preacher's sermon outline? No, it does not. And listen, there are preachers that do that. I promise you, I have heard them with my own ears. You'll see them. They'll preach this sermon. You know you've heard that somewhere. And so you go, you start looking around and you find out, oh, that was one of Matthew Henry's sermons. Oh, that was Oliver B. Green uh, uh, Green's sermon. This was one of his sermons. They're preaching another man's Word. And listen, when we preach the Word of God, there's a reason in our churches that we use more than one, two, or three verses. Amen. Well, listen, when we get up behind the pulpit, what is it that we are preaching? We're not trying to give you our opinion. We're trying to give you the Word of God. And so in a typical sermon, you're going to get 50 references. In a typical sermon, you're going to get all of this scripture, a mountain of evidence, because one of the problems with the old independent Baptist movement, although they did preach a a lot of good doctrine back in the day, and there are a lot of good things that we got from them, there's some good doctrine that they did preach, one of the problems is they would only use one verse. And so because they only used one verse, then people didn't learn that doctrine from the Bible. Rather, they just believed it because it's what my preacher said. They believed it because it's what my pastor said, and they believed that and they took that and they apply that to their lives, but then later on, because it's not they couldn't find it in the Word of God because they hadn't been taught that, then later on they start letting those things slip. Then later on the standards go, then later on the music goes, then later on the King James Bible goes, and they just continue on down the path, this downward spiral. Why? Because their preachers in it preach the Word of God. And tonight, if you go to the majority of independent Baptist churches across the face of this earth, or across this land, what are you going to get when you go into those churches? You're going to get what? You're going to get a couple verses. You're going to get a life story. You're going to get a joke. And before long, you've been there about 30 minutes and up. It's time to go. Now listen, we were here this morning in church. I preached for an hour and 16 minutes. And listen, that hour and 60 minutes was not life stories. It was not jokes. It was what? It was constantly delving into the Word of God to see what the Bible says about these things. And listen, we must make a big deal about doctrine because the Bible commands us to. Because the Bible says, preach the Word. And notice what it says. Be instant. What's it say? In season. Out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering, and what? Doctrine. And doctrine. And notice the Bible says whether in season or out of season. You know what that means? Whether it's popular or not. Listen, there are some things that we believe. I know there are some things that your pastor believes that are not popular. But you know what? You know why he believes them? Because they're in the Word of God. You know, it's not popular to preach that, you know, sodomites are reprobate, Amen. But yeah, that's found in the Word of God. Yes. That's in the Bible. It's not popular to preach that the Bible teaches that sodomites should be put to death. Yep. Yet that's in the Bible. And listen, you claim to be King James only, but yet you don't want to believe what the Bible says about that. Right. I mean, listen, don't tell me you're King James only and then take portions of the Bible and rip them out and throw them away. If you're truly King James only, you know what that means? That means you have to believe all of it. Yes, that means you take what the Word of God says, and you take it literally, and you apply it to your life, and you believe what the Word of God says. Now listen, in most independent Baptist churches, they have no problem with the death penalty. They have no problem with that, right? I mean, if I asked for a show of hands here, for everybody that believes in the death penalty for murder, how many of you would put your hand up? Everyone in here? Right. Well, where do you get that from? You yeah, get from the Bible. Specifically, what part of the Bible? The Old Testament, right? You see, and, and guess what else is in the Old Testament? Sodomites being put to death? Well, what gives you the right to choose one over the other? How come you like the one about murder, but you don't like the one about the Sodomites? I mean, that's what the Bible teaches. That's what's in the Word of God. Now, listen, is it our job as Christians to go around and put them to death? And the answer is no. That is not our job. That is the government's job. He does not bear the sword in vain, the Bible says. He is the minister of God. He is God's minister to execute wrath upon them that would disobey the laws of God. And so it's not our job to do that, but you know what? It's our job to preach it. It's our job to make a big deal about doctrine and to preach the Word of God. And listen, when you're sitting there and you're fighting over whether sodomites can use which bathroom, you've already lost the fight. Because the fight should have never been whether which bathroom they can use. The fight should have been over whether they are to be put to death or not. That's what the fight should have been over. And by the way, in the 1980s, there were independent Baptists in the biggest independent Baptist churches in this country that would stand up behind the pulpit behind, and use the Word of God and say the exact same things I just said. I mean, you can go and you can listen to Jeff Owens stand up at Hiles, uh, at First Baptist, Hiles Anderson College, and stand there and say, We need a Hannah Homo week. I mean, that's what he said. That was in, the, I believe, in the 1980s or so, somewhere around that time period. But you know what happened? Then, shortly after the Internet was created... And preachers got scared and preachers backed down in a corner and they stopped preaching these things. Or if they did preach it, they didn't put it out there. But you know what? The Bible says that we are to be a light to the world. I mean, in the midst of a perverse and crooked nation, we are to be the blameless sons of God. We are to be a light to this world. We're to be salt in this earth. And if the salt have lost its savor, here's what the Bible talks about. Now you listen up, you're good tonight. The Bible says this, that if the salt have lost its savor, it is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot. Yep. You know what the Bible says about you if you lose your, your savor? The Bible says you're good for nothing. Amen. That's not my words. That's the words of the Bible. You can go read that in the New Testament. That if you lose your savor, I mean, God's put you here for a reason to be a light to the world and you just sit there and you back down on doctrine. You back down on the Word of God. You don't preach the Word of God. You don't back up your pastor. You don't stand behind your pastor when he preaches the Word of God. Hey, the Bible says that you are thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out And trodden underfoot That's not my words I quoted to you the Bible Isn't that a novel thing That happened in church today I mean listen That's what the Bible says about you That's why we make a big deal About doctrine You know why? Because we don't want our churches To be destroyed Because the Bible says That the people of God Are destroyed For what reason? For a lack of knowledge They are destroyed Look back at what the Bible has to say and look at what the Bible says there in verse number 3. First Timothy chapter number 4 right there, verse number 3. And the Bible says, For the time will come <coughs> when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from what? The truth and shall be turned unto what? Fables. And that's exactly what churches are being turned away onto. I mean, every single year, September 23rd is the rapture. Every single year, there's this blood moon, and there's that blood moon, and there's this sign in the sky, and there's that sign in the sky. Hey, that's not the signs that the Bible's talking about. And by the way, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. You know, I'm not looking for a sign. There's only one sign that was given. ...to this world about Jesus Christ. And what was that? The sign of Jonas the prophet, for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, or in the belly of the whale, so shall also the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You see, that's the sign for salvation that was given to this world. And the sign that this world is looking for, and isn't it amazing that the pre trivers out there will sit there and say, we are, we're not looking for nothing... We're not looking for anything. Nothing has to happen before the rapture comes, before the rapture takes place. And then they turn around on the other side in another message and they say, well, there's this sign and there's that sign and there's that star in the sky. And September 23rd, they're looking for another sign, even though they said they weren't. Well, which one is it? Are they looking for a sign or are they not looking for a sign? Because, uh, by the way, you know, how many times have you heard this? And I heard this my entire life growing up. The last thing that had to happen before the rapture takes place is Israel had to become a nation. But you know what that does? If that were true, that destroys imminency, doesn't it? Because then in another message, you'll turn around and say, well, the, the rapture is intimate. And the disciples believed it. The apostles believed it. They were looking for the imminent return. Well, let me ask you a question. If Israel had to become a nation and that didn't happen, supposedly, until 1948, well, then could they have been possibly looking for the imminent return of Christ? That makes zero sense. You see, these are the type of pre-trib logic fails that they fail at all the time. They can't do math. They can't add things up. They don't know the Word of God. They can't preach truth and sound doctrine. You know why? Because they've not spent time reading the Word of God. How many preachers have you ever talked to? How many preachers have I talked to that have told me, I've never really studied that subject. But then they're ready to crucify you on it. You see, they never truly studied it, but they want to cut fellowship with you. They want to break fellowship with you. They want to destroy you. They can't stand that you're speaking out. But you know what? They will never shut me up. They will never shut Pastor McMurtry up. They'll never shut Pastor Anderson up. They'll never shut up these other preachers that are preaching the truth of the Word of God. You know why? Because we're preaching the Bible. Because we're preaching what the Bible says about these things. And we're going to take a stand upon the doctrines of the Word of God. Look back at what the Bible has to say here. In fact, go and take your Bibles and turn to 2 John chapter number 1. Look at verse number 9. 2 John chapter number 1 and verse number 9. See what the Bible has to say there. 2 John chapter number 1 and verse number (coughs) 9. Why are we just not going to join up with everybody? Well, look at what the Bible says. 2 John chapter number 1, verse number 9. And the Bible says this, "...whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God." He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the the Father and the Son. Now, do you think I should be joining up with somebody that has not God? But yet the world out there would tell you, hey, everybody's got God, right? Isn't that becoming more and more popular? All this teaching that you see out there about how that God is in the universe, and God is in the trees, and God is in the wind, (laughs) and God is in you and I. I had a lady tell me that the other day out sawing it. And she told me, well, I know I'm saved because God is in me and God's in the universe and God is everywhere. Therefore, I am saved. Not because she believed on Christ. She didn't believe on Christ. She didn't believe the Word of God. But she believed she was saved. Why? Because she believes in this new age religion that's come out in this world. That's teaching this nonsense about everyone is God. And that's what you see with all these recent movies out there. I know a year or two ago, it was the movie that was called The Shack. Some of you might have heard about that movie and heard about some of those things. And one of those things basically teach that God was a woman and that God's in you and that God's in me, that God's in everyone. And by the way, that's called Judaism. Did you know that Judaism teaches that mess? That Judaism today teaches that God is basically... In me and in the nation of Israel, and therefore Israel is God. That's what Judaism today teaches, this nonsense. And no, we're not going to join up with them. Why? Because they're leading people to hell. If they don't have the doctrine of Christ, then we are not to be joining joining up with them. Look at verse number 10. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, what doctrine? The doctrine of Christ, right? Salvation by faith through grace alone. Salvation by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. That Jesus Christ is God. That Jesus Christ is the Creator. That Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That Jesus Christ is the Savior. That Jesus Christ is the one that paid for your sins and my sins. And if they bring not this doctrine, what does the Bible say? It says, Receive Him not into your house, "...neither bid him Godspeed, for he that bideth him Godspeed is a partaker of his evil deeds." So if you bid him Godspeed, and he doesn't have the the doctrine of Christ, you are become a partaker in his evil deeds. Now apply this to Christians that would bid Godspeed or God bless to the Jews. Let me ask you a question. Do the Jews have the doctrine of Christ? No, they do not. I mean, you study Judaism, they believe 666 is a holy number. Now, does that sound godly? Their Talmud teaches that they are waiting for the holy serpent to arise out of the abyss and to go forth and conquer the world. Who do you think that sounds like? The Antichrist? I mean, their evil and blasphemous Talmud says that Jesus Christ is boiling in hot excrement in hell. That's what their holy book says about our Savior. Does it sound like they have the doctrine of Christ? But yet, Christians today will bid them Godspeed and say, you've got to bless them. You've got to make sure you bless them, because after all, if you don't bless them, then God's not going to bless you. Okay, well, let me ask you a question. Since 1948, and we started blessing the nation of Israel, has this nation received the blessings of God? Or does it look like in our nation we're receiving the curse of God? I mean, the last I checked since 1948, we've gone downhill. I mean, since 1948, what have we seen in this land? We've seen that our nation has gone downhill. You used to be able to leave your doors open at night. How about now? I don't know if you can still do that in this small town or not, but you sure can't back in New Orleans where I'm from. You can't do that anymore. How about all the drugs, the alcohol, the gangs? I mean, all the school shootings, the terrorist attacks, constantly being at war in this nation. Is that the blessing of God? No, it certainly isn't the blessing of God. Where is the blessing of God? It's not on this nation. You know why? Because we've become a partaker with them and their evil deeds. And let me ask you this question. How do you even know who a Jew is today anyways? They don't have a genealogy. They can't tell you and show you their line, their lineage back to, back to Abraham. A bunch of them are a bunch of white people that look just like you and I. I mean, if they weren't wearing the black hat and the coats or that queer yarmulke on their head, you'd have no idea that they were a Jew. I mean, how exactly do you bless them? I mean, how would you know how to bless them or not? You see, it comes to this where you're basically playing Russian roulette with the Jews. You know why? Because you don't know who a Jew is or not. So then you, you better just bless everybody, because if you don't bless them, well, then you didn't bless the Jews. But if you do bless them, you accidentally bless the wrong person, then you're in trouble anyways. You see where that leads you? Hey, just so stick to the doctrines of Christ. If anyone, whether Jew or Gentile, does not have the doctrine of Christ, do not bid him Godspeed. Do not receive him into your house. Those Mormons, those JWs that come to your house, the Bible says, receive them not, neither bid them Godspeed. Why? Because they don't have the doctrine of Christ. Take your Bibles and let's go ahead and go to Isaiah chapter number 58. Turn over there. That was just the first point here tonight. That was why can't we just get along with everybody? Why do we have to make such a big deal about doctrine? And the, the number one answer is because, you know, a false doctrine condemns people's souls to hell. And if we actually love people, we want them to be saved, well, then we wouldn't make a big deal about doctrine. And if I actually love God and God makes a big deal about doctrine, then shouldn't I, as the son of God, make a big deal about doctrine? Yes. Sir. And The answer is absolutely yes. Now, go to Isaiah chapter number 58 and look at verse number one. Another question sometimes people ask, and I probably get asked this more than Pastor McMurtry does, but why do you have to use? Yell. Why do you have to yell when you preach? Why do you do that? Why do you got to scream? Why do you got to beat the pulpit? Why can't you just sit back and be cool and put on your skinny jeans and put on your little you know, flowery shirt and put on your sandals and have the purple lights and all this stuff that you see out there today? Why can't we just be like that? Why do we got to be like we are today? Why do we got to be an independent fundamental Baptist church? Why do we got to come to church and the pastor stands behind the pulpit with a suit and tie? Why do we have to do this? Why does the preacher stand up and yell and scream when he's behind the pulpit? And number one, because the Bible commands us to. Look at what the Bible says, Isaiah chapter number 58. And look down at verse number one right there. Isaiah chapter number 58, verse number one, what does it say? Cry Cry aloud. Hey, does that mean be quiet? Does that mean, mean be hushed? And listen, I don't know about you, but I can't stand quiet preaching. I can't stand preachers that now there's a moment to get quiet and to have some inflection, to get quieter and to get louder when you're preaching. But I can't stand pastors that are just real quiet, laid back, monotone the whole time. How would you like it if I just preach like this the whole time? Wouldn't it be very fun, wouldn't it? It wouldn't help keep you awake whatsoever. It wouldn't emphasize the points that you find in the Word of God. You know why I cry aloud? Not just because the Word of God tells me to, but there are times that I raise my voice and I cry aloud to add emphasis to the Word of God. To make it stick in your mind that you would remember what the Bible says. That you'll remember what the Word of God says. Look at what it says here. Cry aloud. Spare not. Lift up thy voice like what? A trumpet, the Bible says, and show my people their what? Transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. You see, people would say today, well, why do you got to yell? Why can't you just preach smooth things? You know who asked for people to preach smooth things in the Bible? Go to Ezekiel chapter number 33 and look what the Bible has to say there. Ezekiel chapter number 33, you know, in the word of God, and we'll see this in a moment after Ezekiel 33, but there were those that asked for, you know, them to speak smooth things. But you know who spoke smooth things in the Bible? Wasn't true men of God. It was the false prophets that spoke smooth things in the Bible. Look at what the Bible says Ezekiel chapter number 33. And look at verse number 2. Ezekiel chapter number 33 and verse number 2. Look at what the Bible has to say there. Remember the Bible said to uh, cry aloud, despair not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and to show my people their what? Transgression. Their iniquity, their sin. Look at what the Bible says, Ezekiel 33 and verse number 2. And the Bible says this right there, Ezekiel 33 verse number 2. Son of man, speak to the children of thy people and say unto them, When I bring a sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coast and set him for a watchman, <clears throat> if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, Then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet, and taketh not warning, if the sword come, and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, and took not warning, his blood shall be upon him. But he that uh, taketh warning shall deliver his, his soul. But if the watchman see the sword come, and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come, and take any person from among them, He is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require, where? At the watchman's hand. Look at verse 7. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. You know why your preacher preaches on sin sin and stops and spits and slobbers and gets up and yells and cries about the sins that are out there? Because the preacher understands this, that every man is drawn away of his own lust. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. You see, the preacher understands that if you live in your life of sin and continue in your sin, and you don't get things right with God, that that's going to bring forth sin in your life. And so he cries aloud. He spares not. He lifts up his voice like a trumpet because he's warning you. Do you think it would be very loving of him? Just to preach smooth things and never mention your sin and to let you go on in your sin and allow you to be destroyed? Is that the loving thing of your pastor to do? But you see, oftentimes, you know, you'll see people out there that get backwards, don't they? They'll say, well, that preacher yells a lot. He doesn't really love people. That preacher yells a lot. He screams a lot. He's always preaching on sin. He's always preaching on iniquity. He's always preaching on drunkenness and fornication and adultery. And he, he just must not love people. Why can't he just preach on the grace of God? Why can't he just preach on the love of God? Why can't he just preach on these things? You know why? Because the preacher understands that in order for you to have the mercy of God, you have to depart from your iniquity. And listen, we're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about in your daily life. We're talking about in your physical life, if you want the blessings of God, if you want the rewards of God, you must depart from your iniquity. If you're going to receive the mercy of God. I mean, if you don't believe that, you should just go read the book of Hosea and look up in chapter 9 and see what the Bible says. Where it says, Thou hast sown wickedness, you shall reap iniquity. That's what the Bible says. Listen, you know why the preacher cries loud and spares not? Because he loves you. You know why the preacher would cast out a drunkard? You know why the preacher would cast out of this church a fornicator? You know why the preacher would cast out of this church an adulterer? You know why the preacher would cast out of this church a covetous person? Or an extortioner? Or an idolater? Or a railer. As 1 Corinthians chapter number 5 tells us? Because a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. You allow that drunkard in. You allow that fornicator in. As we see in many churches across the land. And before long, you'll have a church full of drunkenness. You'll have a church full of fornicators. You'll have a church full of adulterers. You'll have a church full of idolaters. You'll have a church full of railers. Because a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Amen. And when he has to cast out that man who would not turn away from that sin, listen, he gave him a chance. He gave him the chance to change that in his life, but yet he wouldn't change it and he has to cast him out of the church. You know why he does that? Not out of love for that man. He does it out of love for you. Because that man had his chance. That man was given the opportunity to get that right in his life. He rejected the word of God and so he's to be cast out of the church. Because if he doesn't, then it could destroy your family. It could destroy this church. It could destroy this congregation. You know why your pastor seems like he's always fighting against sin? Because he loves the congregation. Because he watches for your souls. Because he loves the church and the people of God. And the Bible makes it plain that that person that's cast out, we're not doing it for that person's good. I mean, read 1 Corinthians 5. The Bible says about that man that was cast out, that he was cast out for what? For the destruction of the flesh, that the body may be, that the spirit may be saved. I mean, if the Bible says there, hey, I've delivered him unto Satan. The Apostle Paul said that twice in another place about other people. He said, hey, I've delivered them unto Satan. Listen, what does it mean to deliver somebody unto Satan? That means that you stop praying for their good. And that you've given them up. And basically, you are not praying for their good anymore. You're praying that God would actually destroy them. That He would allow Satan to destroy their flesh. Why? So that maybe they'd be humbled. You know what? When I pray for somebody's salvation, if you have loved ones that need saved, don't just pray a generic prayer for them to be saved. You pray for God to do whatever He needs to do to humble them. You pray for God to take away in their life whatever needs to be taken away so that they will recognize their need for a Savior. If it's their wealth that needs to be taken away, pray for that. If they need to lose their home, I mean, whatever it is that, that needs to be taken out of their life, so that they would be humble, so that they could be saved, that's how you pray for that person. And you say, well, that, that just doesn't seem very loving. Would you rather them go to hell? I mean, listen, I'd rather my loved ones lose their home than to die and go to hell. I'd rather my loved one, I mean, God forbid, but if this were to happen, I would rather my loved one get in a car accident and be paralyzed the rest of their life than to die and go to hell. Hey, it's better to pluck out that eye. It's better to cut off that hand if it offends you. It's better to cut that thing off than to go to hell for all eternity. You see, that's real love. Because you want that person to be saved and to go to heaven. And your pastor, why does he make a big deal about doctrine? Why does he make a big deal about these things? Because he loves you. Because he loves the congregation. And he doesn't want to see the congregation destroyed. Look back at what the Bible has to say. Go to Isaiah chapter number 30. Look at what the Bible has to say there. Isaiah chapter number 30. Isaiah comes right before the book of Jeremiah. We were just there a little while ago. Isaiah chapter number 30 and look down at verse number 9 and see what the Word of God has to say. Isaiah chapter number 30 and verse number 9. And the Bible says this right there. Isaiah chapter number 30 and verse number (coughs) 9. And the Bible says right there in Isaiah chapter number 30 verse number 9, the Bible says this, that this is a rebellious people, lying children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us, what? Smooth. smooth things, prophesy deceits. You see, it's the people that don't want to hear the Word of God that just want to hear smooth things. Hey, if you're in this church and this kind of preaching, it irritates your ears. You know that why that is? Because you're a wicked person. You know why you don't want to hear this kind of preaching here tonight if you're that person? Because you're that man. You're that woman that does not want to hear the Word of God that is rebellious. And rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And you're in rebellion against God. And all you want to hear is smooth things. All you want to hear is the grace of God. All you want to hear is the love of God. All you want to hear is the mercy of God. And those things are great and wonderful. But you know what? There's also the wrath of God. And you know what? Probably 90% of the Bible is the wrath of God. I mean, just read the book of Revelation for crying out loud. What do you think you see there? The wrath of God. Read the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and the Lamentations of Jeremiah and Daniel and Hosea and Joel and Amos and Obadiah and all the prophets. And you know what you're constantly going to see? You're constantly going to see the wrath of God upon a rebellious people. And that rebellious people is a people that only wanted smooth things. Now then we read the verse earlier in the New Testament that told us these times would come. "...that the times will come that they shall not endure sound doctrine." "...that they would heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they would turn away from the truth." You see, the Bible tells us that in the end times, that would take place. Hey, you better listen up to the Word of God and don't be taken away with those things. Don't let the world take you. Don't let your friends take you. Don't let your family take you. Don't let them convince you that the Word of God is not right." Take heed to the word of God and see what the Bible says about these things. Look back at the Bible. Let's move on go to Jude chapter number one and look at verse number three. See what the Bible has to say there. Jude chapter number one and verse number three. Next question here tonight. And we don't have time to answer every single question, but just a few of them. Why does the pastor always seem like he's fighting? I mean, why is he always fighting? I mean, listen, I like what I heard Pastor Anderson say one day that being a pastor is kind of like playing whack-a-mole. That, you know, one heresy sticks its head up and you gotta whack that one. And then another heretic sticks his head up, you gotta whack that one. One member gets disgruntled, you gotta whack that one back down. I mean, it's just constantly fighting something, right? Well, why does the pastor always have to fight? Why does it seem like he's always fighting? Well, look at, look at what the Bible says. Jude chapter number one. And look down at verse number three. And the Bible says right there, Jude chapter number one, verse number three, behold, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly do what? Contend. What do you think that word means? Do you think that just means to kind of just lay down to play possum? I mean, is that what that word means? No, that word means to fight, right? Look at what it says there. And listen, you know, a pastor is not to be a brawler. Obviously, we're not talking about getting into a fist fight. But you know what? There is a type of fighting that a pastor is to do. What kind of fighting is that? Look at what it says there. Contend for what? The faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now listen, this is not like, you know, this one guy thought when I was out souling, I was out out, souling this one time and this reprobate didn't want to hear the word of God. So I turned around, started walking away from him. And this guy started following me down the sidewalk. And he told me as I was walking away, if you can beat me in a fight, I'll drop to my knees and confess Jesus Christ right now. I turned around and said, why would I do that? He said, well, the Bible tells you to fight for the faith, right? Listen, that's not what it's talking about. Bible says, For we wrestle not against, what? Flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness. Where? In high places, the Bible says. Look at what the Bible has to say here. Why is it that we are to contend for the faith? Look at verse number 4. For there are, what? Certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them, that believed not. Why is it your pastor has to always be looking out? Why is it that he always seems like he's fighting? You know why? Because there are certain men crept in unawares. There are certain men that want to creep into your church. There are certain men that would love to come into your church and destroy your church and take advantage of your children and take advantage of those young Christians. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter number two, that they beguile unstable souls that they're looking for that weak person. Listen, usually they don't come after the pastor. You know what they usually do? They go around behind his back. They go around trying to sow discord. They go around and they might say, can you believe what the preacher said? By the way, you hear somebody say that? You better run the other way. Because God hates those that sow discord among the brethren. Listen, you got a problem with what your preacher said? You need to go to your preacher. You need to talk to him. You need to say, hey, pastor, I I have a problem with what you said. Can we sit down and talk about this? And listen, I know your pastor, he's more than willing to do that. If you actually had a problem where you didn't understand something in the Word of God, I guarantee you, your pastor would do that. And you ladies, if you uh, are that person, you and you have a husband, you ought not to be going to your pastor first. You know where you ought to go? The Bible says the wives do what? Ask their husbands at home. Don't usurp your husband's authority. Your husband is the spiritual authority in your life. And you ought to go to your husband first and ask him. And if he doesn't know the answer, then he should go to the pastor and ask him. But listen, you ought not to be going around behind your pastor's back and saying things and spreading lies and spreading things behind his back. Hey, that's what these men do. These men that creep in unawares and they come in and the Bible says they spare not the flock. They're seeking to destroy the flock. Hey, just because they look good on the outside, doesn't mean they are. Remember, that's the whole point of a wolf in sheep's clothing. That wolf in sheep's clothing, you can't tell he looks like a wolf, right? But inwardly, the Bible says they are ravening wolves. You know why your pastor looks like he's always fighting? Because he's watching out for those men. Because he loves this church. Because he loves the congregation. And he doesn't want to see the congregation destroyed by a wolf that would come in. Take your Bibles and go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy chapter number 6. And look at verse number 12. 1 Timothy chapter number 6. And verse number 12. And the Bible says this. in 1 Timothy chapter number 6. And verse number 12. And see what the Bible has to say there. Anybody want to see tonight if I can beat my record from this morning? <laughs> See how long we can go? Look at what the Bible, by the way, that wasn't my longest sermon I've ever preached. i preached longer. Look at what the Bible says, 1 Timothy chapter number 6. That was just about average. Look at what the Bible says, 1 Timothy chapter number 6. And look down at verse number 12. The Bible says right there, it says what? What's that first word? Fight! Fight. And you know what? That's one of the reasons why a pastor is to be a man. You know why? Because men have more of a natural instinct, instinct to do what? To fight. I mean, you see these boys and you see them running around. Uh, and you see these boys always, you know, fighting. They're wrestling. They're rolling around. You know, boys and men, they have that natural instinct, right? You see, that's one of the reasons why a man is to be a, or a pastor is to be a man. Because the man is the leader. The man is the stronger. The woman is the weaker vessel. And it is the man who is to stand up. It's the man who is supposed to fight. Hey, it's not the woman who's supposed to be down in the trenches. It's the man. It's not the woman that we ought to be sending in the battlefield. It's the man that we ought to be doing that. It's not a woman that ought to be standing up and taking the the forefront of all the attacks that come against this church. It ought to be a man. It ought to be the pastor. And by the way, the pastor's wife is not the pastoress. You see, when he became the pastor of his church, his wife is not the co-pastor. That's right. I mean, listen you, don't, listen, you know, my church, and I'm sure Brother Tommy would agree with this, I'm sure he'd find say the same thing about his wife, my church will never be on staff at my church. My wife will never be hired. By the way, I'll never hire a woman, period. You know why? Because that's what the Bible teaches, that the young women are to beware. At home, bearing children and guiding the house. And if you don't like that, it's because you disagree with the Bible. But yet, come tell me how you're King James only, but you don't want to believe what the Bible says about that. You know what? We're not to be hiring the pastor's wife. No, it's the pastor that we pay the paycheck to. It's the pastor that is the one that bears the brunt. It's the pastor that is the one that is standing in the fight. That's standing up. Look at what the Bible says here. And the Bible says right there in verse number 12, and it says right there in uh, chapter number 6, verse number 12, the Bible says, Fight the good fight of what? Faith! Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. You know why your pastor looks like he's always having to fight? Because there are many false doctrines out there. Listen, I mean, every single week there's another false doctrine that your pastor has to preach against. Hey, I preached against one this morning. I preached against salvation being a process. That's a false doctrine not found in the Word of God. Calvinism is a false doctrine. There are many false religions out there. Many uh, false doctrines out there. Many false prophets out there. Men whose mouths must be stopped, the Bible says. And how do you think you're going to stop them if you're not willing to fight them? How do you think you're exactly going to do that if you won't stand up and contend for the faith? Hey, you ought to stand up and contend for the faith. Look back at what the Bible has said. Go to Galatians chapter number 2. And look at verse number 11. (coughs) Galatians chapter number 2 and verse number 11. Here's a question that we get. Being in our kind of churches, do we have to fight the old ISD? Why can't we just get along with them? Why do we have to fight against them? And listen, it's more than just our difference on end times prophecy. It's more than just our difference on who the nation of Israel is. It's more than just our difference even on the reprobate doctrine. You know what it is? It's that there's all this false doctrine that has crept into Baptist churches today. Damnable heresies that has crept in. I mean, repent of your sins that has crept in. Calvinism that has crept in. Other ways of salvation that's crept in. The (coughs) Excuse me, the Ruckmanites. The Rucktards that have crept into Baptist churches. And have you ever noticed, they always got to name their church something like this. Bible Believers Baptist Church. You know why they name their, all their churches like that? Because they've got to convince you up front before you ever come into the building that they're a Bible believer. You know why they do that? Because they don't believe the Bible. Because they don't believe what the Word of God says. Rather, they're following a dead man who's in the grave, who's burning in hell, and that is Peter Ruckman, and that man was wicked. That man taught some evil and wicked things. By the way, did you know he believed he got special revelations from God? I mean, he believed God came and appeared to him and gave him special visions. I mean, Peter Ruckman was a, was a weirdo, a man that taught that, that abortion was fine, that life does not begin until after the child is born and takes its first breath. So up to that point, it's fine to kill the child. Now please tell me, is that of God or is that of the devil? That's wicked, that's of the devil. You can sit there and read in his book about the rapture, where he says, hey, after the rapture, you better start working your way to heaven. That's what Peter Ruckman said. A works-based salvation. He taught that James chapter number 2 taught a works-based salvation. Listen, that's wicked, and that's of the devil, and you know, you know why we ought to fight these things? Because there are damnable heresies that have crept in. These things have crept into the old IFB. You see, they'd rather join up with the Ruckmanites than with us. They'd rather join up with the witch of Endor than with Bible-believing Christians. They'd rather join up with somebody that's not even saved than with somebody that has the right gospel. And why is that? Because they're watered down and they just want to be loved by the world. They don't want any persecution, but if somebody just makes a video about them, they think that's persecution. Listen, that's not persecution. Come talk to me someday when all of your family turns on you. Come talk to me someday when your pastor that ordained you cuts ties with you and turns away from you and those that supported you pull that financial support from out, out from under you. Come talk to me someday when you have that take place or even worse, And my affliction is just a light affliction. And for me to speak about my affliction, I speak as a fool. Because you know what? My afflictions don't compare to the Apostle Paul. I mean, the Apostle Paul, what does he say about himself? That he was beaten, he suffered shipwreck, he was in hazard, his life was hazard for the cause of Christ. I mean, he suffered real persecution. You know why he suffered real persecution? You know why he suffered that much? Because he could say this about himself, I have labored more than they all. Speaking of the Apostle Paul, look at Galatians chapter number 2 and look down at verse number 11 <coughs> because many would say, well, we ought to just get along with the old ISB. We ought not to cause any waves. We ought not to speak up. We ought to just, you know, just let things go on by and just you know, be peaceful with them. Listen, I would love to join up with them if they would get right on a few things. If they don't get right on repent of your sins, sorry, I'm not joining up with you. You know why? Because you're preaching another gospel. Yep. And the Bible says in Galatians eight, if any man preach another gospel, it says, let him be accursed. Yes, I don't care whether you're IFB or Catholic. If you preach another gospel, you are accursed to me. Look at what the Bible has to say here. The Bible says right there in verse number 11, the Bible says... And it says, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I did what? Withstood him to wear the face, because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. You see, Peter here, you know, he was sitting down, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when the circumcision, when the Jews came in, then he separates from them because of fear with them. Now, You know what? Isn't that what the old IFB does? You see, they won't join up with us, not because they can show us where we're wrong in the Bible. They won't join up with us, not because they can show us doctrinally that we're wrong. They won't join up with us because of fear. They won't join up with us because they're afraid of what their buddy thinks. They're afraid of what Keith Gomez thinks. They're afraid of what this pastor thinks, or this IFE Pope thinks, or Paul Tapple thinks, or whoever it is that is in, in, over in their lives, because you know why? Because they have become a denomination. You see, they used to be independent Baptists, but now they're afraid of other men and they're afraid to join up with somebody that has the right Gospel that's preaching true doctrine. You know why? Because they're afraid of men. That's exactly like Peter. And notice who withstood him. The Apostle Paul withstood him to the face. Why? Because he was to be blamed. You know what? I'm going to keep shouting it from the housetop that the old IFB better get right with God and better come back to the Word of God. You know why? Because they are to be blamed. You know who's to be blamed for my entire generation going to the devil? The old IFB. Don't put the blame on my generation. You raised them! You know what? You don't put the blame on the child. The Bible says that if you raise a child in the way that he should go when he is old, he shall not depart from it. That's what the Word of God says. You know why my entire generation grew up and went to the world? Because they were raised wrong. Because they weren't raised in the Word of God. Because there's something that the old IFB failed to do. Now let me say this. There are things the old IFB did that I'm thankful for. I am grateful for the King James Bible. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that they took a stand on that. I'm thankful that they gave us the Romans road, that they gave us stolen that there are some good things that they gave us, but you see, there's something they failed to do. The Bible says, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. You see, they failed to prove all things and therefore they not only held fast to that which was good, but they also held fast to that which was bad. And they brought that in. And what does the Bible say about that? A little leaven does what? Leaveneth the whole lump. And before long, what did you have? A whole lump, a whole generation of children that grew up and went to the devil. And you go to the average independent Baptist church in this land today, and you walk in, you see a lot of gray heads. But where's the children? Where are the young adults? Where are the families? Where are they? They're not in the house of God. They've went out to the world. They've went out to the devil. Why do you think that is? Because they raised them wrong. Because they insisted on doing things like the world. They insisted in having their Christian school. They insisted in having their bus routes. They insisted in having their Bible colleges. They insisted in conferring degrees upon one another. Never mind that God told us, that Christ told us, be not ye called masters. Let's go give each other master's degrees. Never mind what Christ said about that. Let's do it the way that we want to do it. Never mind that Christ was so angry that He sat there making a whip to drive the money changers out of the temple because they were selling things in the house of God. Never mind that. Let's set up a book table at the back of the church and sell merchandise within the church. You know what? That's not to be done in the house of God. Jesus said, You shall not make my Father's house a den of thieves. You know what? The old IFB, what do they do? You go into most of their churches, they got the book table. An evangelist comes in, what does he do? He spends you know, half an hour, he picks up all of his books, and he's got all of his books stacked right there, and he gives you 15 minutes prelude of each one of his books, how he wants you to buy this book, and buy that book, and this is a good hymnal, and that's a good hymnal, and he spends all this time advertising his books and his CDs, and then expects you to go to the back and to buy those things in the house of God. Hey, no money... ...should ever exchange hands in the house of God like that. Why do you think Jesus was so angry over that? I mean, listen, that's one of the times we see our Savior at the most angry that He was. And by the way, He did not just get angry and lose control. Think about this. He sat outside the temple making a whip. He sat there thinking about what He was going to do. And He sat there. Do you know how long that takes? Can any of you even make a whip? You know how long that takes to make a whip? And yet he sat there outside the temple making this whip. And when he was finally done and he tested that thing out, he went into the temple and he drove out the money changers. And he drove them out of the temple. That's how angry Jesus was over that. That's how angry God was over that. And yet churches today have become a house of merchandise. You go to these churches and they've got their books, they've got their book tables, they've got their Christian school, they've got their curriculum, they've got all these programs that they sell. Hey, that's not to be in the house of God. But if you think I'm crazy, go ahead and do it that way and give your generation of kids over to the devil just like they did. You know, I'm not doing it. It'll be a cold day in hell before I ever have a Christian school. Before I ever sell anything in the house of God, it will never happen. I can promise you this. I know Pastor McMurtry agrees with me on these things. I can promise you he agrees to everything I just said. That those things are not to be done in the house of God, but yet the old IFB, they did those things and therefore they are to be blamed And they should be withstood. They should have to give an account. They should have to answer for these things. And yet they sit there shaking their heads and going, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened to the children. I don't know why every single class that graduates from our Christian school, the majority of them go to the devil and they go to hell. And many of them become Sodomites and become queers. You know why that happened? Because you did things the way of the world and not the way of God. Because had you raised them according to the Word of God, had you raised them in the doctrines of Christ and in what the Bible says and how you're supposed to do it according to the Word of God, they would not have departed from it. But they'll give this excuse, oh, when they're old, that means when they're old, they'll come back. Get out of here with that nonsense. I mean, listen, what do they mean by when they're old, they'll come back? I mean, listen, my generation... I mean, I'm 30 years old, and there are those who are older than me, older siblings and brothers and people that I knew that are in their 30s and 40s. Well, what do they define as old? How about when they're in their 50s? Are they still going to be saying that? How about when they're in their 60s? Are they finally going to come back? How about when they're in their 70s? Are they finally going to come back? The answer is no. That is not going to take place. You know what? Had you raised them right in the first place? They would not have departed from the truth of the Word of God. Look back at what the Bible has to say here. Go to 1 Samuel chapter number 18, then we'll be done here tonight. And look at what the Word of God has to say. 1 Samuel chapter number 18, and look at verse number 6, and see what the Bible has to say there. 1 Samuel chapter number 18, and look at verse number 6. You know, the old IFB, you know, they remind me a whole lot about King Saul. How they look like King Saul. Now let me say this, King Saul was a saved man. King Saul is in heaven. I believe when we get to heaven, we're going to see see King Saul there. But you know what? King Saul did some pretty bad things in his life. And got to the point where he got so bad that he committed suicide. Now isn't that what the old IFE is doing? I mean, what do you think is going to happen if their church is full of gray heads? What happens when all the gray heads die off? What happens to the church? It's gone, right? The church is going to die. It'll no longer be in existence. And that's what we're seeing take place today. They are literally committing spiritual suicide by not taking heed to the Word of God. Look at what the Bible says. 1 Samuel chapter number 18. And look down at verse number 6. And the Bible says right there in verse number 6. 1 Samuel 18 verse number (coughs) 6. And the Bible says, So the people went out into the field against Israel... And the battle was in the wood of Ephraim, where the people of Israel were slain before the servants of David. And there, and there was there a great slaughter that day of 20,000 men. For the battle was there scattered over the face of all the country. And the wood devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. And Absalom met the servants of David. And Absalom chose Am I in the right portion of Scripture? I'm in 2 Samuel. Thank you. Yeah, again, I promise you, I'm not reading out of another version of the Bible. <laughs> look at 1 Samuel chapter number 18. If it's like this one, I'm 30. Imagine when I get older. Man, that's your excuse. Something going to me look, right. look at what the Bible says. 1 Samuel chapter number 18. And look down at verse number 6. Here we go. we got the right portion now. And the Bible says, 1 Samuel chapter number 18 and verse number 6, the Bible says, And it came to pass, as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played, and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth." And the same displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. You know, this reminds me a whole lot of the old IFB. You see, there's a new generation that God has risen up. I mean, I promise you, if you went to the stolen conference, you would see it. You see in the Sonan Conference, all these young people, these young families that are excited, fired up about winning souls, about seeing people to save. I mean, listen, we had 171 saved at the and Conference. I mean, the and Marathon, the Mega and Marathon that just took place, over 3,000 saved worldwide. I mean, listen, my church today had, you know, uh, had 15 people saved this afternoon alone. I mean, another one of my members texted me earlier this week out stolen, had 10 people saved. I mean, we've had stolen marathons in Louisiana, and in one day, had over 100 people saved. And you go to all these stolen marathons across the nation, and they're seeing Thousands, hundreds, and thousands of people that are getting saved all across this nation. I can't tell you how many people I've ran into that got saved because they were listening to Pastor Anderson or Pastor McMurtry or others over YouTube and over the internet. And the old IHB, instead of glorying in the victory, they eye us. Instead of glorying in what God is doing, you see, they've been sitting back and praying for revival all their life. They've been sitting back and saying, won't God bring a revival? I mean, won't God pour out His Spirit? Hey, the Spirit of God was poured out 2,000 years ago! The Spirit of God was poured out on the day of Pentecost! The problem with Americans today and with Christians today is not with God! You know where the problem is? The problem's with Christians. The problem's with the old IFB that doesn't want to get to work and doesn't want to win souls to Christ, and doesn't want to go stolen, and doesn't want to knock on people's doors and see people saved, and doesn't want to join up with people that are leading people to Christ, rather they just sit back and they I am. Why are they ascribing all these victories to Him? He's just a young buck. He's just a young man. He's just a young preacher. I mean, look at all these young preachers out there. I mean, I've been doing this for 80 years. I've been doing this for 70 years. I've been doing this my entire life. And who are these young guys to come along and do what they're doing? You know what they're doing? They're envious over us. And they're just like King Saul. And if they continue down that path, their end will be just like King Saul's end, which is a pretty scary thing. Look at what the Bible has to say about that. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn over the first Samuel chapter number 16. This is a couple chapters earlier. Let's notice, why was it that King Saul, why was he eyeing David? Because this is a couple chapters earlier, what we're about to see here. You know what? I think this is happening to the old IFB. Look at what the Bible says. 1 Samuel chapter 16. (coughs) Look down at verse number 14. Notice what the Bible says. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Notice what happened there. Not only did God's spirit was removed from King Saul, then God, notice what it says, the Lord, God, sent an evil spirit to King Saul to trouble him. I mean, think about it, Christians. If in your Christian life you got to that point where God said, "All right, you've rejected my ways enough. Yeah, you're saved. Yeah, you're going to go to heaven. But you've rejected my ways enough that... There's nothing else I can do with you. My chastisement has not uh, made you correct your ways. You've not listened to me. You've not listened to my word. You've not listened to the prophets that I've sent in your life. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm not only going to remove my spirit, but I'm going to put an evil spirit upon you to trouble you. I mean, think about what a scary position that is for a Christian. And you see, God puts this evil spirit upon Saul so that Saul will continue down this path of destruction where he utterly destroys himself, where he utterly destroys his sons as well. And his entire household just about is wiped out because King Saul would not do what God had told him to do. You see, it started back with the kings earlier. It started back with the nation when King, when God told King Saul to go destroy that nation and to kill them all, to wipe them all out and to wipe out the sheep and to not keep any of them, kill the young, I mean, kill everybody. They're so wicked. Go wipe them out. But did King Saul do that? No, he didn't do it. And when he was confronted by the prophet, he didn't get right over it. You see, the prophet comes to him and he says, what is the bleeding of these sheep in my ears? You see, King Saul denies. You see, when he comes walking up, the prophet walks up to him. King Saul goes, behold, I've done everything God's commanded. Mm -hmm. And the prophet goes, what meaneth the bleeding of the sheep in my ears? He goes, hey, dude, I can hear them outside. I know you didn't do what God told you to do. And yet, what does King Saul do? Does he say, oh, I'm sorry, you're right. Let me get that right. Nope. He just buckles down on it. And because of that, when he was confronted by the man of God, because he would not receive the Word of God and do what God had told him to do, he got to the point where God removed his spirit from him and placed an evil spirit upon him. Now listen, I think this is exactly what is happening to the old ISB. That as is, they continue to, re- to reject the Word of God, they've been confronted with the truth. They've been confronted with their doctrine. They've been confronted with the Word of God. They know that they cannot prove the things that they say. They know that they cannot prove the things that they have taught all their lives. And so what do they do? Instead of getting right with the Word of God, they buckle down just like King Saul did. And they say, oh, I've done everything God's commanded me to do. What meaneth The bleeding of the sheep in my ears. And so God has removed from them The Spirit placed it upon the new IFB and He's put an evil spirit upon them. And you know what? That's exactly what we see. That they're constantly destroying themselves. I mean, Keith Gomez had that conference last year. The anti-Anderson conference. And it backfired and destroyed himself. I mean, it backfired and made him look like an idiot. Made his church look like a foolish church. Made him look like the unsaved reprobate that he is. I mean, it made him look like that. By the way, I do believe that because he teaches a repent of your sins doctrine. He teaches you have to repent of your sins to be saved. And that is a false doctrine. That's a false gospel. Let him be accursed. That's what the Bible says about that. And God has removed His Spirit from them and sent upon them an evil spirit and they just continue to get more envious. They just continue to fight against us more. They just continue to dig their heels in And they continue to say things that make no sense. They continue to babble and babble all this nonsense. And they say these things that just destroy themselves. You know why that is? Because they've committed spiritual suicide. You know how they did that? By not taking heed to the Word of God. And let us take a lesson from that. That if we do the same thing... Yeah, we may be strong right now. Yeah, we may do what God wants us to do right now. But if we become like Solomon and later on in our old age, go a whoring after other gods and fall away from the word of God and start doing what the old I did. Well, then that same fate could await us. Listen, we ought to be careful that we don't just condemn them, but that we learn from them that we learn from the Word of God, that we learn from those mistakes, and we ought to always have this attitude in our life, no matter how old we are, no matter how much we've read the Word of God, no matter how much we've studied it, no matter where we've gotten to in in our lives, that we never get to the point that we think that we've arrived. That we never get to the point where we think that we know everything, because you know what? There might come a time that you see that you're wrong on something, you need to change it. You know, the Word of God is our final authority of faith and practice. And if we find ourselves in contradiction of the Bible, this is what we measure up to. This is what we change to. We don't measure up to the old IFB. We don't measure up to the new IFB. We measure up to the Word of God. Yes, we ought to be ready to give an answer to every man that asks us a reason of these things. Why do we do these things? Because it's commanded to us in the Word of God. Let's end in a word of prayer. Now I'll turn it back over to Pastor McMurtry tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've given to us in your Word this evening. I ask that you'd help us to take these things, to search them out, to apply them to our lives. Father, in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.